I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn on the Jeffs podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at WillPaul11 or my full name, Will Parkinson, for our YouTube channel. This is going to be our first uh, live video segment of the podcast. Going forward, we're going to be having guests um, on both video and audio. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And this will be in the, uh, you know, in the podcast section as well. So uh, no need to worry if you're just an audio listener. We want to go over a couple of things here. We have an exciting podcast for you today. Connie Carberg's coming on the show. I have a long conversation with her. She's actually the first female scout in the history of the NFL. She also is the first Jets scout, obviously, female scout as well. She's still, to this day, the only female scout to ever make a draft pick at the NFL draft. She drafted um, in 1976. And then is famous for scouting Mark Gastineau, one of the best Jets of all time. So stand look after that. It's a really insightful conversation. She's a great, uh, you know, a great listen. So be on the lookout for that. Just want to get in a couple of things here. Nothing too crazy in Jetsland this week. Basically, all the you know all is going to be rumored right now is going to be the quarterback trades and guys either potentially getting franchised or being moved on because the salary cap decrease. So Corey Lindsley is one guy that's a Jets target. Um, him and the Packers seem to be far apart on an agreement as of now, and he's somebody the Jets should absolutely be targeting. He's run the Lafleur Shanahan system, obviously in Green Bay, he's an All Pro level player. And we'll also be able to move Conor McGregor over, I mean, Conor McGovern over to guard, not Conor McGregor, although he'd probably be a much better center. Conor McGovern moving over to guard, then you pursue a guy either in the draft or you target a guy like Joe Tooney or Brand Sheriff um, to replace Alex Lewis slash Greg Van Rodden at the other guard position. Um, and now you've got an offensive line of Beckton, um, an all pro level player in Sheriff or Tooney. You've got Lindsley, an all-pro-level player, McGovern, who would be an above-average right guard. And then you either go with George Fance, George Fonts, however you want to go, you know, pronounce his name, and then, um, or you, you know, draft somebody right tackle. So there is a ton of options, and these are, it's a guy you, the Jets need to go after. Um, there should be legitimate interest there. And then, you know, you look at Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, both have either requested a trade or are looking to potentially be moved on. Um, I'm not so sure I buy into the Russell Wilson wants to leave Seattle. Um, conversation. I know he disagreed a lot with Brian Schottenheimer over the last couple of years, specifically last year, walking out of a meeting, it's being reported today. Um, you know, disagreed obviously on a lot of running on first and second down, a lot of not letting, you know, letting Russ cook. Um, but at the same time, you look at him and um, he did not play well down the stretch. He's an elite level player. He's a top five, top six quarterback. I have him more in the four to five range. 
going to his age 33 season, still very much in his prime. You look at Tom Brady, Rogers, Brees, these guys play well, you know, played well in their late 30s and 40s. So don't expect any different from Russ. And he'd be a great addition to the Jets. I just don't see that happening. He put out a list today that if he were to move on, it'd be teams like the Saints, Bears, Raiders, and Dolphins, um, maybe more win-ready now teams. Although I got to be honest with you, I- I'm not sure how you're trading for Russell Wilson if you're the Bears picking at 20. You have the Saints at 28 with zero cap space. I mean, they're $92 million over the cap. So I, I don't see that happening. Seem like the Dolphins maybe, but there, there doesn't seem to be, um, you know, the Dolphins have said we're not sure, um, you know, there yet. And then the Raiders make a lot of sense. Again, I just, I'm not sure how that's getting done unless you're moving car and multiple picks and, and these things. I, I don't see Russ. I put it maybe 10% Russ gets moved. The Jets would have a lot of leverage if he does get moved with Deshaun though, because if you're moving Russell Wilson for a bottom of the first round pick and, and additional assets, but the Jets are the number two pick. The number two pick is incredibly valuable. Um, you know, we've talked about this before. As a three scale of 3,000, you know, possible points a pick could be worth on the you know, NFL draft value scale. The Jets have a the second pick is the most second most valuable, obviously, at 2,600 points. Trevor Lawrence is going to go one. We're not buying into the Zach Wilson hype. That's a lot of teams trying to drive Zach Wilson up their draft board so they can get a guy to potentially fall like a field Lance or if you're, you know, mid first round, you know, Mac Jones. And then you look at, you know, if you're, again, if you're going to do that, the Jets can give up less and less for Deshaun Watson. And maybe it's two first round picks and a player because you're giving up number two and the Texans could go after a Wilson. I don't think the Texans would want at two. They were going to want fields. I don't know that Justin Fields is going to want to go to the same situation Deshaun Watson was just in saying that they share the same marketing coordinator here in New York and agency. They share Quincy Avery as a quarterback coach. Don't see that happening. So if the Texans are going to make this deal happen, it's been reported that the Texans want to make sure that Deshaun will go to the Jets um, because they know they can get the best value out of them. So be on the lookout for that. We'll keep you updated as much as we can. But again, Deshaun met with David Tully today. No progress. He does not want to be there. He's putting his feet into the ground. He's digging his heels and he's not playing for the Houston Texans ever again. Whether he gets moved before the season, you know, time will only tell. But I just, I think maybe 60% he gets traded, 65%. I still think there's a chance he comes back and, you know, there's always, you can always throw more money or, or try to figure out a situation. But the Jets should be favorites if Deshaun gets moved. Um, I've said this before. Yes, Miami's a possibility. Carolina's also a possibility. Does Miami want to move on from two a year after drafting him in the top five? He wasn't great last year. Um, I think he was a big-time QB manager. Obviously, they had the relief pitcher aspect of Fitzpatrick and, you know, all that stuff. But, again, do you want to bail on a guy after one year when you were a game away from the playoffs? Your Carolina's perspective, they want a quarterback. I think they're actually better off drafting a guy because they have such a young core around him around, you know, they could build such a young core around that player. But again, if you could get to Sean Watson, you do it, right? It depends on the price. But the Jets are in the perfect situation. I'm the biggest Sam Darnold fan there is. I can understand and acknowledge Sean Watson would be incredible for the Jets. But again, if the price gets exorbitant, it's four or five ones, you don't do it. But having that number two pick, they have the ability to build around Deshaun. They have the ability to surround him with talent and also, you know, long-term flexibility on the cap number because of the contract that he's on. It's an extension, but Houston's already paid a lot of the guaranteed money and bonuses, um, and, and the Jets will be able to have a reasonable cap number, I think about over $10 million this year from a base cap perspective. So, again, on lookout for that. On lookout for guys like Corey Lindsley, 
um, potentially not going back to Green Bay. Franchise tag um, deadline's coming up here. So you're going to see, I predict the Jets are going to franchise tag Marcus May, which I think is a smart move at that $10 million a year range just for next year. They can tag him twice at a, a reasonable number, and he'll be going into his age 30 season before the Jets ever have to give him a long-term deal. Again, I'd like to I'd like to extend Marcus Mann's three or four year deal at a reasonable eight to nine million dollars average annual value deal. But if you can tag him um, and not lock yourself up long term, you do it. And then Tooney, Sheriff, Allen Robinson, um, guys like that, Kenny Galladay, Godwin can be franchise tags. So be on the lookout for that as well. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Connie Carberg, a.k.a. Girl Scout. She was the first female scout in the NFL and worked with the Jets, famously scouting Mark Gastineau. So, Connie, welcome. How's, uh, how's everything going? Everything's going great, Will, and it's a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks so much for joining us. And, um, you know, people aren't familiar with Connie. I highly suggest you go and kind of check her out at, on Twitter at Connie Scouts or uh, check out, you know, the book on her. And there's an NFL Network film special about her as well. Um, you know, all that's on her Twitter page and website. And I think it's some really interesting stuff that we'll kind of get into here. So, Connie, if you could kind of just walk us through a little bit of your background, um, you know, how you kind of got into scouting and, and your passion for the Jets. Sure. It's that's something I love to talk about. So uh, yeah, it all started uh, just as I said, growing up, just being a tomboy and playing all different sports. But back then girls didn't play football. That just wasn't one of the sports that you played. You know, you, you could play baseball and softball and swim and uh, basketball and all that stuff, but not football. But uh, so I didn't understand the sport that well. And then my dad, Dr. Calvin Nicholas, and my uncle, Dr. James Nicholas, who's the orthopedist, my dad was the internist. They became the two team doctors with the Titans, of course, who became the Jets. Harry Wismer was the owner at that time. And so I was like 13 years old then, and my whole life changed. Um, I, had, I decided to start learning about it, um, met the players, which always makes a difference when you meet some players um, and you get, get to know them. And the world back then was very, very casual and low key. And, you know, the players back then, this is, as I said, this was in uh, 64, 63 when they started. Players all had to have off-season jobs and all that kind of stuff. But during my teen years, um, there was not much. It was one game on TV with Keith Jackson doing it. And there was Street and Smith. And then there was the Bob Hope. You probably never heard of him. Well, he's too- <laughs> <laughs> I've, heard of, I've heard of him, but it was slightly before my time. <laughs> so he, he used to have a special and then he would have the all-american team come on and that's the way you kind of try to 
to do so. And I would watch all this. And for when I was about 15, 16, I started to do my own mock drafts. And I don't even know what made me do it, but that's how I started. And as I said, the players were always over at the house. My dad, being the doctor, he had the office connected to the house. And so the players, whenever they'd be examined and coaches would be over there all the time. And I had a chance that we were all back in those days, as I said, it was very low key and everybody was at each other's house back. This, this was uh, the beginning towards as, a, as we started to go in the sixties became the Super Bowl team and whether it was Emerson Boozer and Ralph Baker and um, you know, all these different guys that we had on the team, we would go to each other's houses as well. So I just kind of grew up around that and Walt Michaels, who became a head coach for the Jets at that time was the defensive coordinator, which he was in the Super Bowl. And he was a good friend of my dad's and he would come over and he would teach me a lot as we watched the college game. Uh, I remember watching John Riggins when he was in college with him and stuff like that. So we would talk about everything. And I also had a, a teacher in um, high school that was my earth science teacher and I would stay after school and he would teach because he was also a football coach. So I try to learn you know, as, mu as much as I could. And from there, um, after I got done with high school, of course, the Jets won the Super Bowl my senior year. Yeah, in high school. That's a pretty good. Uh, I wish if they win a Super Bowl in my lifetime, I'll be over. The moon, <laughs> so I can't imagine how that felt. It was awesome. You know, before that, people would say, oh, what's wrong with your Jets? Just like they do now. Right. But all, all of a sudden, everything came together and we won the Super Bowl. And it was just exciting. I got to go to the game. Um, and all that. In fact, in the offseason, the Jets would have a basketball team. Now you probably wouldn't be allowed because with insurance purpose liability. After everyone watched the A-Rod and Aaron Boone thing that happened like 20 years ago at the Yankees, I'm not sure anyone's going to be playing basketball anytime soon. Isn't it fine? Amazing. I know. It's exactly. So they would all be playing. They would make like an extra $50, you know, to play in the basketball. So as I said, all those things came together. And I went to an well, girls college and I played basketball. They didn't have girls scholarships at that time even. And, but there was something missing and I decided to transfer to the Ohio State University. And that, that was, was really- The great. Ohio State. <laughs> oh. Ohio State. Always the Ohio State. So Woody Hayes was the legend, just like, you know, say a Nick Saban is now and everybody knew who he was and he was the head coach. And so I would uh, go to all the, uh, I would go to the games and stuff. But one day I went over to the student union where I knew the football team ate. And I waited until Coach Hayes came out and he had a book also called You Win With People. And so when he came out, I started, I introduced myself, told him my history and my dad and all that kind of stuff and my passion for football and how much I loved it, and all that stuff. And he said, well, right now there isn't anything for females per se, but I want you to come over to the stadium and we'll meet, which I did. And from there, he said, don't give up your passion. Keep going at it. You don't know what it might develop into. Because at that time I thought, well, okay, when I graduate, I will um, go ahead and teach school and then I will coach girls sports afterwards. That's basically what was in my mind. Well, I, I would go to all the, I would talk to scouts that came to visit. I went to every practice. He, even if it was closed, he let me go to pray. He was unbelievable to me. And I went there, and of course, my life with the Jets still was during the summer training camp at Hofstra University, and we, I would be there all the time when I wasn't coaching swim, a swim team during the summer. So it all kind of just led, and one day, my father had a 50th birthday party, and we invited a lot of people, and we invited a couple of Jets, and the head coach was there, Charlie Winter, and he uh, happened to be Wee Bubank's son-in-law, 
and he was a head coach. I said, and I just kind of like to talk to people. So I table hopped and sat down. Yeah. With him. You, went, you went for it. You're like, why not? <laughs> what do I have to lose? I, had I, no idea. Idea. I wish I could say I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. And we started talking and he said, you know, you love football so much. We're building a brand new complex at Hofstra University on Long Island in Hempstead. And right, that's where they were practicing at this time. They had moved from Peekskill. He said, would you consider working? And I said, are you kidding me? I don't, I don't care about anything else. I'll consider, I'll gladly. <laughs> so that's how I, I got to work for them. They built this brand in 1974, right after I graduated. And I, at first I was the only girl in the entire place with the, with the coaches, um, the trainers, uh, the players, everything. Eventually they added more secretaries, but I was a scouting secretary at that time along with being the receptionist, along with doing everything else. And that's how it all began. But as I said, back then it was really um, a very relaxed thing. You could, if uh, somebody called on the phone and said, oh man, I really like this player. I just would go through the doors towards the back and I would yell girl back and go back to the locker room. And I would say, oh, to a player, oh, David Knight or whoever, uh, Randy Rasmussen, whoever it might be, there's somebody that's a real fan of yours. When you get done, uh, getting dressed would you come up and talk to them on the phone and they would say sure and <laughs> what a, that's a very different now it's very yes. very very different now you, you have to tweet at somebody or hope they'll respond to you at uh after the game yes it was a it was a really as i said very relaxed and that's so that's where my life began in 1974 working for the jets at that time okay so a, after i started that I, as i said i was doing secretarial work even though i didn't know how to be a secretary I had no idea how to type or do anything, but they saw that I, how much I knew football and loved it. And so in the very first draft, which was 1975 that I did, and back, would you believe their draft was, this is kind of, it was back in the end of January, they did the draft. And so it was right after the season. And then we had the senior bowl and the hula bowl and a Japan bowl. And then you went right into the draft. It was 17 rounds. So. A lot of room for error. It's amazing. Is that something? Now we only have seven rounds. There were 17 back there. So I did that. And when they got to the 17th round, um, my boss, Mike Hollaback, um, who was director of player personnel, said, kind of, we want you to make the last pick. So I did. It was, I'm still to this day the only girl that's actually made a, a draft selection, which I, as I said, I was shocked cool. to do it. It's got, you have to give yourself, it's pretty cool. It is. And I said, because I was always the one that would sit and then call into New York, you know, the New York Jets select. And then whoever it was in draft day was, as I said, there's, there's no day like draft day. It's so exciting. And oh my gosh, I still, I, still, still, I still think that's one of the most exciting parts of football in general in the NFL is just the excitement and the promise and expectation. And it is just so it much really, up in the air. You've not, you to be looking at the next Tom Brady, you could be looking at the next guy who doesn't even make the roster. You've no idea. It's, it's so none, exciting. None. And in fact, I think I'm trying to remember at that time when we drafted, I think that 75 with Richard Wood and a few other, and I think they, what was it? I'm trying, I can't remember if it was the USFL or the World Football League. I always wanted, they went there instead. So we didn't even get our, our first picks. And really, the only pick that really made it big that year was Joe Fields. He was a 14th round pick as our center and he was a center for a long time. So I made a Mike Bartosik of Ohio State. As I said, he didn't make it, but he wasn't one of the first to be cut. So I always felt good about that. So that's how it all began. And then from there, um, Al Ward became the general manager who just passed away. I don't know, today I, I woke up 
and Jim Irsay from the Colts had put on Twitter about the passing, which I hadn't seen. It was last month that uh, Mr. Ward and I had talked with him when we were doing our book and he was, he was 91 when I spoke with him. It was, he passed away at 93 and he was a general manager and he's the one though that said afterwards we were, we were all doing working on game plans eating dinner and he said, Connie, I, I want you to become a scout for us. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is 1976. That's so, <laughs> it was. And he had seen me and, and known what I had done. I used to go to you know, watch practices every day and all that kind of stuff. So that's how it all began being a scout um, in 1976 and then all the way through. And then we get to the, of course, the story about Gastineau. I was gonna say that's, uh, that's the, like, I mean, the guy was an incredible incredible yeah. and he's still probably one of the i don't know unbiasedly maybe a, a, one of the top five or six jets players of all time and it's we're 30 years later and it's like uh, it it doesn't hasn't changed i don't know that i love her probably i mean he's i, I still think that the michael strand yeah. is a bit of a it's tough to, it's a tough record breaker there but no i mean he was an incredible player and obviously you can talk more about it but I mean, yes. somebody that is an absolute legend, obviously, with the Jets and the sack exchange and the whole nine yards. Yeah, and it was kind of neat because we had built the sack exchange. You know, we we had built with the one draft Klecko, who was a had was a truck driver and this and that, and he was other things. And so we got him, and then we got Larry Falk, who became Abdul Salam. And then the year that what happened was in um, so as I said, we were starting to build the team, and then Walt Michaels became the head coach. You know, in '78 and. And since I grew up with him, I was, boy, was that a blessing. And he was always so good to me and asked, you know, opinion and anything that I could find out to help him. You know, I was, it was a pleasure to work for him. So when that happened, um, we came to the final draft and my, my original boss had left Mike Holodak to go to the um, Houston Oilers, they were called at that time. And he had done two, if you check out the drafts from 76 and 77, those were Mike Holodak's drafts and they were unbeatable and the real basis. Uh, you can't all the guys of our eighties team that was so good. So uh, after I said, what, after that happened, um, when I remember, okay. So, so after we were, Oh, let's see how we, go. we had the draft in 78 and then 79 came up and we're getting ready to do the senior bowl and they always pick, coaches like they did this year and we I don't I don't know if we've ever done it since 79 I wish we would because boy do you have an advantage when you get, get to experience you can scout it's you know it's not even like a pro day it's obviously you get to watch these guys on pads up close and see how they take coaching see how they're able to interact with criticism or positive energy you can get such a feel for them I'm like it's I don't know I think that's why part of the senior bowl for me at least personally is Obviously, you don't want to overreact to things that happen because it's a week and, and whatever. But at the same time, watching somebody practice day in, day out with pressure yeah. on them, with coaches in there, you can really get a feel for somebody like you can at a pro day of the combine. No, and it's this one is it was it was it, to this day it is such a great thing. And so I went. We all of a sudden Mike Stensrud, who was a defensive lineman uh, who played in the NFL and everything, he got hurt. In an, an accident, an accident. I can't remember if it was a you know ski or a mo uh, motorbike or whatever. But he got hurt, and I was asked by my boss, who was on the road along with Walt, to go find a replacement. Now you have to remember back then there were no such thing as we, we were just starting computers, but they hadn't come into college except for the Dallas Cowboys. They were way ahead of the game, but we didn't have that. You know, you didn't have um, 
all the tapes. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have all these different things that you could find out about players like you can now. So I found whatever tapes, I looked at all their different reports and they were about five guys that weren't scheduled to be first or second round picks because they were already in the senior bowl. And most of these other guys were rounds four to seven probably. So I looked through them, narrowed it down to five guys. And then I said, well, I'm gonna call them because I just, I, I'm a firm believer in talking to people. And so I did, I called each one. Most of the guys were like, well, all right, I don't know if I'm in shape. When do I have to go? How long is it when you go there? Uh, what are they expecting me to do? Blah, blah, blah. One guy that I called was, <laughs> I mean, I'm ready. Just put me on the next flight. I'm in shape. This is all I want to do in my life. And he was so full of enthusiasm and pumped, which I really like. So I, after I hung up that phone with him, I went back and looked at the reports. And he was the one, even though he was from East Central Oklahoma, which is a small school. And back then you didn't look at small schools that much. We didn't have as much information, but he, you know, he ran a four five five at, you know, at 280 pounds. And so still impressive to this day. Yeah. Um, the game's even as fast as the game is now. The game was slower then. And like to run yes. sub four six at the end at 280 pounds is yeah, it's a lot. You Amazing. So I said, well, I'm going to take him. So I told uh, my boss and I told, uh, you know, Walt and I said, let's, let's go with him. So he went down to the senior bowl and from all the things that I heard, you know, he just, man, he tore it up in practice. I talked to Dan Sikandovich who became his, Dan, his uh, defensive line coach at the Jets, but he told, you know, he said he was unbelievable there. And then he became the most valuable player um, for the North team on defense and the South team, the most valuable player on defense was Marty Lyons. So the Jets that year, but what a great thing. The first round, we take Marty Lyons. And the second round, we get Mark Astineau. And there's half of the sack exchange right there. Talk about uh, talk about hitting on two picks. Uh, I've, I've met Marty a couple of times when I like used to be uh, as a kid around the team. And like that's a, it's a heck of a first two picks to have and be able to hit on two guys that. Isn't it? And like from two different worlds, you got a guy that had been so well known in Marty, you know, from University of Alabama and made a big play and a big stoppage in that one game and everything so he was well known and then you had mark who really wasn't known at all and so as i said now they were now able to team up with abdul salam and joe klecko so what a as i said that was, but that was like the biggest thing and mark and i have you know stayed friends for over 45 years um and he's you know, he's been great. He's doing so well. You know, there were all the different things that went on, you know, with and stuff during during his playing days. But boy, what a what a what a player. And just so full of enthusiasm. His sack dance, you know, he said he did that when he was at East Central Oklahoma. And he that's just the way he is. He was just like a, a big kid. And that's what I loved about him was his passion. And so he became, as I said, so good. And he's as I said, he's doing great. Now he went through. Um, he's went through about right now with, with uh, colon cancer, but he's clean and doing well. And he's he's he sang in church choir. He and his wife. He's got a great wife. So everything turned out really, really well. But back then, so now we did that, and we got all those guys together. And from there, I was still there for another year. And uh, then I met my husband, and we had a chance to go down to Florida with a big job. And um, he left it up to me to make the decision. And uh, I left the Jets, which was a huge decision.
Yeah, but it, you know what? The it's all about the amount of value created. Like at the end of the day, it's you know, yeah, that's a pretty yeah. pretty good legacy to leave. Um, you know, <laughs> that's that's some pretty good draft classes to be able to leave. And as a scout, like that's like you mentioned, draft day, you take the most pride in because it's where you get to shine. And it's about the scouts, it's about the general manager, it's about how you can identify talent. And it's so neat because, you know, Ben said with that, that draft, whether it was Marvin Powell, you know, and, and Wesley Walker and Kevin Long and Scotty Durking and Dan Alexander. I mean, those were all, and I could go on, Matt Robinson and all those guys. And the year before, as I said, we did really well with Schaefer Suggs and Richard Todd and um, Abdul and Klecko. And so I, those two years were Totally amazing. Then we picked up a few guys like a Bobby Jackson in 78 and, you know, other guys that just uh, came through and also a great free agent in Brucey e. Harper. And uh, and that one was done by because uh, Walt Michael's son went to school with him at Kutztown State. And he said, why don't you just give him a tryout? And uh, Brucey e. became his great. Even in, football, it's all, in the NFL, it's all about who you know and the connections you made. But no, I, th I think it's an incredible... Uh, kind of journey and obviously you know there's the book and all, all that type of stuff and it's it's definitely something that I think people should um you know kind of take a look at more in depth if you know if they you know want to learn more and stuff like that and you know kind of fast forwarding to like present day and um how do you kind of go about ident like do you still go and watch film on these guys and do you, how do you kind of uh get excited for draft day in you know 2020 and 2021 well, during, you know, this was a kind of a crazy year with the pandemic and people opted out and all that kind of stuff. And it was some teams played five games and some played 12 and some didn't play at all. But normally, you know, and I still do. I, I sit from, you know, nine in the morning watching all the, you know, college game day. And then all I just keep I watch all the games that I can all day long till midnight. I, I watch all those games on the West Coast <laughs> too. I twelve after dark. <laughs> and so I watched all them and then I kind of just keep notes there until and of course now you have YouTube and you have other things other ways to look at the players and go back and everybody has all these different things and you go but I, I tell you you go around in circles it's it's a different game now than it was you know back then you had your basic four three or three four in blitz but you didn't have you know there was nothing people didn't move in motion exotic different things and um a lot of guys that are making it now as say situational players and specialists wouldn't have made it back then because they didn't everybody played every down almost you know you, you didn't tap out <laughs> come out for a play i i yeah, can't imagine situational like a third down pass rusher or third down no somebody that's in the corner and things like that no, I can't imagine, you know, Klecko tapping out or Mark tapping out or Greg Buttle or any of those guys tapping out. They just didn't, you know, it was a, it was just a different uh, type of game in the way that they played. So when I watch now and then quarterbacks, the whole game has changed. In the old days, up until the past three or four years, the number one question was, how, how does he stand in the pocket? Can he take a hit in the pocket? You know, can he stand, uh, can he stay there and scan the field, you know, with progressions and you want him to be, of course, accuracy is important no matter now or, or then, but it was more important uh, back then is how did he stand tall? Did he, his motion overhand, you wanted that, you wanted, you never wanted somebody to throw sidearm or 
or these off platform as they call it now. Um, but now the first question they ask is, can he extend the play? So a guy like Mac Jones, who would have been very ideal eight years ago, 10 years ago, or more, whatever, now he gets pushed back because it doesn't have that mobility. And guys that are much more mobile that we would say, wait a minute, no, no, he can't make it in the NFL because he's not gonna stay in the pocket. But the NFL has become more, in my opinion, like the college game and taken that on um, versus the way that it used to be. Yeah, no, I think it's, that's, a big, that's a big reason why a lot of guys, um, you look at part of the reason the excitement around a Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson, um, and even, you know, in my opinion, the reason Sam is still so valuable um, is because yeah. they're able to make those off-platform throws and throw outside of the numbers. They can make all the throws from an arm strength perspective, but um, it's their ability to buy themselves time and create, whereas Matt Jones might not do that as well, but his accuracy – Obviously, as much as the offense is incredibly talented at Alabama, you know, all-time great offense, but you got to still be able to make the plays and make the decisions. And um, in, in terms of those guys, like who, if if the Jets don't run it back with Sam and either, you know, draft somebody at two or trade down, is there somebody that stands out to you that you like more so than the other well, quarterbacks? I got to just said, I've always been a big Sam Darnold fan from the time that he was at USC. And, you know, as I said, when his, you know, his first year and he was 30, and he had 31 touchdowns and nine interceptions, the second year went to 26 and 13, but um, he was, you know, he just caught your eye and, and in everything that he did, and he didn't even start playing quarterback till he was a, a junior in high school because he was a linebacker and then he got hurt and then he only played his senior year. So he really doesn't, he didn't have half the experience that a lot of these kids when they're starting really, really young. So, but I was a, a huge fan. I still am. Um, I, I, as I said, I really feel, in my opinion, it really hurt when, um, when Josh McCown was no longer there as a stabilizing force in that first year, it really made such a difference on his last bunch of games and things like that. So the last two years, I think, and with injuries and the mono set him back. As far as the I don't know what Joe Douglas is going to do. As I said, he's a great guy who keeps things completely. I love it because there's no leaks on the Jets. And there's no way of knowing what they're going to do, which is he, he's terrific at that. Um, and so I go back and forth. You know, I went to Ohio State. So then I look at Justin Fields and I love the fact that he's big and strong. And you saw the hit that he took. Um, and all that kind of stuff. And then came back and threw six touchdowns. And yet. People are worried about him holding the ball too long. Then you have Zach Wilson, who's now the kind of quarterback that, you know, I, I don't like to ever compare anybody to Mahomes. You just can't. That's, he's in a class by himself. So, but Zach, and he's only had really one great year. So you're looking at him. Yeah. Uh, he also. Yeah, it always scares me a bit when guys kind of get elevated um, so high. They, you know, went from Zach Wilson might be a first round guy to Zach Wilson's a top 10. Now it's like, they're getting all this floating out that he's better than Trevor Lawrence. And it's like, that always <laughs> know, me the overreaction of guys where Justin Fields, at least to me, feels more like he's been in the conversation for the last 18 months, two years, him and Trevor Lawrence have been in high school together. They competed. They were one, two in college. They were one, two. And now it's like, yeah, I'm not saying Zach Wilson isn't good. I just, it scares me sometimes when guys get shot off the board from 
maybe there'd be a fourth, fifth round pick, then all of a sudden they're a first round pick. Then now they're yeah. top plan. Maybe they go one. It's like that scares me a little bit sometimes. I mean, it looks really accurate, Zach, you know, Zach Wilson and everything. The only thing that scares me, he's already had a shoulder injury. And that's without the combine and the actual medicals and interviews that they're doing um, and private workouts that you can't do. This is going to be a really tough draft um, for the NFL and for the different teams because, you know, that really – um, makes a huge difference. I, I remember there were a lot of guys that the Jets couldn't draft when I was there because they didn't pass their physicals. Or you saw the thing what happened with Ja'Kai Polite a few years ago. We took him in the third round. And remember at the combine, this is not a secret, it was talked about. I for the Rams. They talked, and they talked about how he just didn't have a, his interview and they didn't, the attitude and he came in overweight. Well, now we don't get a chance to see those things. And the pro days, you know, Every school can be running it. They want their guy to be a little bit faster. They may be running it on Astro or grass, which is different. They may be, uh, you know, in better places, indoors, outdoors conditions versus everybody at the combine. You at least knew you had 350 people that you could kind of say this is all legit. So that's why of all years, I think this is really going to test um, scouting staffs of every team. And I don't, I don't envy it at all. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's, it's one of these drafts that you're going to see a lot of big hits and guys that fall maybe the second, third, fourth round that make it and end up being pro bowl, um, all pro level players. And I think a lot of guys that could go and could creep up to the top 15, top 20 picks that just based on lack of film, lack of, like you said, in-person time, interview time that could end up being out of the league in two or three years. And I don't even, it's not like a, indictment on some of these gms and scouts it's just it's going to be more difficult than ever you're watching more film virtually you're interviewing guys virtually it's it's difficult you know not having a big part of college football is the crowds and having to play road games going to ohio state as a small big 10 school you're never going to win there because there's 110,000 people in the horseshoe every weekend yes you got to play ohio state this year there's nobody in this crowd there's maybe 100 200 people and that factor of playing the road, just it's not the same. And I think that, no. that people don't factor in as well. No, I boy, I agree with you there too, because it does make a difference on, on pressure, how people react to pressure, uh, the heart of a player. There's just so many. Um, and now, again, scheme, scheme fits. So a guy that you may think is really a good player doesn't fit into the scheme that, of the team that you're hoping he might go to, which is very different again than the old days. Basically, everybody fit on everybody's team. Yeah, you, you didn't, it wasn't so scheme specific. Whereas now, like, that's one of the reasons people are interested in Zach Wilson or Fields or even yeah. keeping, in keeping Sam, which I, I've said before in the pod and I know we've talked about, but I'm, I'll par partially want to keep Sam, even if I didn't love him, because the scheme fits him so perfectly. A lot of bootlegs, a lot of getting out of pocket, play action quick one read throws where he can show all of his talent which I think is incredibly important and it can be friendly going from a system that in my opinion Adam Gase's system was basically Peyton Manning developed it for himself and <laughs> kind of took it from him and try to fit you know guys that don't have the same skill set um you know and then now you take Sam and you put a bunch of guys that are more reliable in my opinion um you know getting do stuff after the catch where you know Sam does have a big arm and I think that we forget about it because year one, I remember being at that Broncos game, the even opening night against the Lions, there's the Colts game. You look back at Green Bay through for four, four fifty and three or four touchdowns. Houston, like there are these games where you just go, this guy's incredible. And then yes, I understand 
the New England game last year, and there's a couple games this year where you're like your eyes roll. But I also think that this the Shanahan system takes a lot of that stuff away and it creates favorable matchups where it's not Sam's not saying they're having to read three, four guys. He's I'm gonna be here, here, or I'm dumping it off. It's like quick. You're not yes. going through seven progressions. That's just my opinion uh, from outside of all the stuff I know about the Shanahan offense. But I'm I know you can talk maybe more about it. No, as you said, I think I think you're right, and that's what it's, I, I'm sure that's what they're all what they're going over and what they're you know figuring out on him. But you know, Sam is a, Sam is a hard worker. He loves the game, which are two very 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 important things also. Um, in it, you know, and it's dedicated. We know he's dedicated. He's not a guy that mouths off. He's not a guy that makes a lot of praise. He he's in there. I mean, there was never a time that he said anything, you know, that could have been construed after I all. I don't know how he bit his tongue at the end. I, I would have, <laughs> I would have snapped at one point and just lost it. Yes, I know. But well, he's and all season long having somebody, you know, somebody say this. They're going to take this person. So I, I mean, he had whatever's going to happen. Sam's going to be okay, whichever whatever happens with him. Uh, so I'm always a big fan of his. Um, we, we need a lot of things on the Jets, as, as obvious, because nobody even came close to being making a Pro Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, or even anyway. So we need so many. And then the guys, we had so many guys with hamstrings and injuries um, that, again, it made it really, really difficult. So um, uh, yeah, I, we, I, we, hope that, I hope that injury thing is an Adam Gase thing. And I know it sounds crazy to blame him for injuries. And it's like, but it happened in Miami a lot. Um, I looked back at a lot of the injury reports they had from week to week basis and guys it sounds horrible, but guys don't want to put their career on the line for injuries that if their team, they don't think is going anywhere or a coach they're not bought into. And I think of guys like, yes, you know, Denzel Mims or, or people like that, that feel, felt like they were hurt all year. And I don't blame Denzel at all. Cause it's like to go through two hamstrings. I've pulled my hands oh. more playing and it's tough, but you're not going to rush yourself back for a team that's you don't feel is going anywhere. And I think I'm hoping that Robert saw has such a bind from these guys, which I've been incredibly impressed from everything I've heard yeah. and all that type of stuff. But I'm hoping that the buy-in they have, it's like um, this rolled ankle, which I would normally play, wouldn't play on. I want to play on because like this guy, I want to, I want to die on the field for this guy. And I think that's something that Rex had that he did really well at least in the beginning. I think Herman Edwards is really good with it. I think Parcells, yes. obviously, I think he's, my opinion, is the best Jets head coach GM. I mean, that staff he built in 98 is still the best Jets staff, in my opinion, I've ever seen. I mean, all those guys were multi-time NFL head coaches. Everyone wanted the Jets staff, which mm-hmm. we had, I had a conversation the other day. You know, that was a big thing when they hired Sala was, oh, he's going to bring Michael Floor, but he might get poached in two years. And I'm like, When's the last time somebody poached the Jets coordinator? <laughs> I know. I can't, since 98. I mean, you look at that staff and Belichick and Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell and it goes on and on. And it's like all these guys, I mean, they're still all coach. Like <laughs> Belichick's probably yeah. the greatest coach ever. And, and Parcells is one of them. And Romeo Cornell, that is an incredible defensive coordinator. And Charlie Weiss is a multi-time head coach at Notre Dame and Kansas and the Peyton and Texans, I believe. Or, and so I just, I, I, I hope that, they address the needs, but also get such a buy-in. And I think they do miss the fans. I think the Jets fans make a huge impact from an NFL perspective. And these games last year, you look at that maybe they're down seven early. And instead of the fans kind of getting them up on a big play, it's like, it's dead silent there. It's like, 
Uh, I can't even, I, yeah, I can't, you know, I know they make the sound for us when we're watching it, but from what I understand the, that they don't hear the same thing on the field. So I can't even imagine, it just has to feel like, a, I, I give these guys a lot of credit, the players. When things go I, bad like that, it's like, there's no one to pick you up. And I, I watch it in other sports too. And it's like the bad teams are even worse because they don't even get the buy-in from the fans. It's just like, no, they're just getting exactly. the key for four quarters. Nope, there's no question. They do. Football really needs it. It really it makes a big, big difference. I'm excited. You know, you never know how a, a coordinator is going to be as a head coach. We all we know that that happens so often that they don't make it. But at least from what we can see, um, and the players really, really respect Robert Sal. Um, the guy was a tight end in college. So he, he knows he played tight ends. So that means he knows the offensive side of the ball, even though he's been defense as coaching otherwise. So it means he played on that side. And then now he coached great and all the different people that really liked him. And um, as I said, he's brought in a wide variety of coaches. Um, as, as from what I can see, of course, I'm very excited. I'm so happy they kept Grant Boyer on special teams again. That he made I miss Mike Westoff, but uh, oh, yeah. oh that, I know he was awesome. But now, but now we got Leon Washington. I was so I'm, excited to get Leon, Leon Washington. He made, my, uh, he made my like all decade um, fan favorite as like a running back, and I think he's somebody that I like to see. Like, there's been as much as there's been a lot of down the last, especially the last ten years. Like, I think we forget sometimes there have been a lot of great players that have walked through the door, and you know. Forum Park or Offshore or wherever, you know, so, and, and it's like Leon was one of those guys. And he's a homegrown guy. He's, yes. His career is spent with the Jets. I know he's Seattle at the end, but he's no, no. excited. Leon's always been a favorite. Of, I, I was so excited when I saw that. I think that it's just, because we haven't done that a lot with our, you know, for, with former players and, you know, Aaron Glenn went to uh, Detroit now and everything. I was, but, hoping, uh, I was hoping he was going to come along with Sala, but I, I understand he got his, you know, I did, yeah. Exactly. But I love, I, I do. I, I love seeing that when they, when they bring in some of the guys and, and we, as I said, we haven't, you know, done that that much. So that was really, so I think Jeff fans went crazy on Twitter. They were so excited to see Leon come and, and be working with Brant Boyer, who they already love too. So I think that's uh you know, a, you know, really good twosome to work together. Yeah, no, I agree. And then I guess kind of the, well, just transition to the last thing. And, and we've kind of been talking, I've been, you know, if everyone's been following along the quarter century team last 25 years of Jets football, and we did tight ends and fullbacks and talked about guys like, you know, Richie Anderson and Tony Richardson. And then yep. from that perspective, Chris Baker and Dustin Keller are guys that really stood out. To uh, me. So I love I'm Dustin. Try not to yeah. give Kyle Brady too much flag. Uh, I completely, but that didn't work. I know, but it's funny. Kyle Brady was uh, Parcells used him really well as a blocker. If you remember how he he would man, and he was unbelievable doing that. As far as coming, he he you know it's 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 all how coaches know how to use certain players, and other coaches don't do it as well. You know, and sometimes fans forget. They always say, "Oh, we're such a losing team," but Herm Herm Edwards took us to the playoffs three times uh, since two thousand. Uh, when you know every time that Chad Pennington, who I dearly love. And if he had, you know, the poor guy, if he had had any kind of health, uh, was unbelievable and the most accurate thrower and class act and took us to the playoffs three times. Then we had Rex come in and take us to uh, two other games, you know, two other playoffs into the AFC championship game and stuff. So during during that whole decade, fans forget from 2000 to through 2011, we were pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I, I put out a thing. I was like between 98 and um, and 2000 you know, end of 2010, I think we're in the playoffs like six or seven times. 
yep. six times and won the yep. you know, won a division, made three championship games. Like that's why, like when I people always give me stuff, oh, why do you love the Jets so much? It's like, well, I grew up with it, but also my entire childhood from four to um, until I was a sophomore in high school, the Jets were good most of the time. They had some terrible years, obviously everyone does, but it's been the last decade. Yep. I feel that's gonna they're gonna have to change. Know that's gonna have to change for some of the younger kids. But no, we're gonna, I'm next week is gonna be doing defensive line. Is there any defensive linemen over the last you know 20, 25 years that kind of stand out to you that were you know a favorite of yours? Well, defensive line is that we haven't really you know since since the Gaston and since John Abraham. We really haven't had this a uh, great pass rusher. We, I mean, Sean Ellis was a solid was a solid defensive lineman and did did a really good job. And you know, um, I'm just trying. I'm even stretching to think off the top of my head on a great defensive uh, you know lineman. Um, yeah, it's been. I mean, I don't know. There's a couple years of Chris Jenkins. There was John Abraham in the beginning, but I, there's been a yeah. lot of disappointment. I mean, Mo Wilkerson had a good start until that was that was sad. Stuff. Yeah, that was said. And Sheldon Richardson, Sheldon had a great first year and he really looked like, I mean, we, we, we really thought we were going to be set with having these, you know, with, with Mo and with Sheldon Richardson, and you know, and, even let, big, you know, Leonard Williams in the beginning. I love Leonard Williams. Yes. And of course, now he's, you know, all pro level player with the Giants, of course, but, you know, well, don't, don't, don't forget, don't forget that he's going to, he's looking, he's ready to get a, a nice contract and somehow, as I said, if you have if you have a team with all guys that are going to be just coming up to their contract year, you know you're you're you are more. I don't want to say like you're not always trying, but that gives you that added incentive to even do yeah, more than you ever did. Contract year boost is definitely a real thing. <laughs> <You> <laughs> like, that number, the number that the Giants got to be careful because that number that we, you know Leonard Williams is at. It's yes, he's val very valuable and he's a good, good you know really good player in the run game and can get you know the eight to ten sacks but if you franchise him at 20 million dollars a year that's a lot and if you sign him to a long-term extension you're kind of tying up probably between 16 and 18 million dollars a year and a guy that's not going to be he's not Aaron Donald and he's not JJ Watt you know and these guys so you got to be really yes. careful with that at least in my opinion you, you don't want to it's the hardest thing to, it's a yeah, it's hard to know how people respond. Some people respond with money and they they relax like Mo did, and some people play uh -huh. even harder. You know, you give you give them all the money in the world, and you know Patrick Mahomes is never going to not give everything in the whole wide world that he has. It's just the uh, way was, you know the way people. Are, that's the way that was disappointing with Le'Veon is that he like after I think earlier this year that like after he got the money he kind of let himself go a little bit in shape wise and mm -hmm. it's a full year of. Um, you know, playing football as a running back in your prime and then let yourself go. And I know he got back in shape and it was unfortunate with the hamstring this year and, you know, how it worked out. But it was so disappointing to hear that because I know he's a hard worker. He was such a hard worker. And to hear that, like, the Jets were the team, of course, they gave him the money and then it didn't work yep. out. You know, I know. We, really, we, have, uh, I said we, we need to, uh, we do need, you know, I, I loved when Ty Johnson came in because he showed, first time I've seen speed at running back by the Jets in a long time and I really wanted to see more of Ty Johnson and I'm still hoping you know we we still do we haven't had a guy that can break one so because defenses can come up and play on Sam on anything else if you know that the Jets longest run is 15 yards it's not hard to play defense and defend the pass as much but you know I would love to be able to get a running back that we has a possibility of breaking one um, that's good, really good, you know, pass catcher out of the backfield is the outlet. 
and things like that. So I'm looking for that in the draft, definitely. I would love to be able to draft a running back um, and then have P. Ryan and Ty Johnson and kind of have his three-headed. They're all different running backs. Yes. They yeah. would draft. And P. Ryan's more of a zone guy, but he's got some speed and breakaway ability. Ty Johnson's a ton of speed. And then maybe a guy that can get, you know, the tough yards. And I think running back yep. has changed. And, I mean, obviously you know this better than me, but it's changed so much in the last even 10, yes. 15 years where it's like now speed on the outside, reliability, a tight end, guy that can catch the ball. And you need people at running back that don't – they don't need to have 400 carries anymore. It's more of – unless you're Derrick Henry. But now it's three guys getting 10 carries, 10, 15 carries, and who can break one or two runs. That's all you really need. Yep. And that's why, of course, you know, you still come down to the trenches. You still come down to the offensive line. And – if there's no holes, if, and if you can't do anything, and if your receivers aren't good blockers, I mean, that's why they love Mims, they said, because uh, besides being able to catch the ball, but, but it's blocking ability, um, you know, tight end-wise. I hope, you know, Chris Herndon, he looked like he started to break through again, which would be great. A poor guy went through a lot, I'm sure. It was weird. I was talking about this with my brothers last night of how promising he looked the last eight games of 2018. Sam's rookie year, they had such a good connection, and then, Yep. Obviously, the off the field stuff was really unfortunate. And then, you know, they broken ribs. The first game he comes back at a nice catch against the Giants, and boom, he's gone the whole year. And that's tough. Yep. And then you come back this year, and opening day was obviously, I mean, I don't think they were ever going to win that game, but to be down 17 10 and then fumble like that, and your whole year is just a downward yep. spiral. But he had just a couple of nice catches he had against New England at the end of the year. He had the catch against the Chargers, I believe. But um, you know, I, I just I'd like to see some of these young guys take a step this year, and if they can draft well and add, I don't need them to add 15 guys. I need them to add like depth and really quality, like at least B level players that hopefully you can yep. coach up to an A. I don't need to always, you don't always need to sign all the A level guys because they could call. No, them. you know we brought in which I like, uh, like Gidry who runs a four two nine. One thing our defense need was speed. We, we are not our linebackers and our uh, even you know defensive line we just we didn't have a lot of speed even a corner stuff so I'm, I'm really hoping I hope CJ Mosley can play even half as well as he did that first half against Buffalo because that might have been the best player on defense I've seen in other than Revis in 30 years on defense that first half against Buffalo is incredible yeah. unbelievable yeah exactly so I that's what I'm hoping you know that as I said that we get we do get some more speed on defense because we really do need that and you know, as I said, Sanchez, remember Mark had, he had Dustin Keller and some, I think Dustin Keller was so underrated and he was always, he was always there. Um, I have to admit, you know, Mark did have a lot more people to work with, you know, whether it was Santonio or whether it was Braylon, you know, and, and the running backs, Thomas. Of, uh, Jericho Cotri and oh, man. Oh, oh, he did that 2010 oh. year. Love, love Cotchery, Brad Smith. I mean, you go through the, there was a, there was a great, plus that offensive line, you know, you had Damian Woody and Fanica, Mangold and Brick. I mean, that's like, I mean, in my opinion, I think those are four guys, at least Fanica just got in the Hall of Fame, but I hope to Brick, Shaw and Mangold can get in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know, it'll be tough for Damian Woody, but he's another guy who's, I I mean, you look at that old line comparatively to, oh, the last couple of years <laughs> no and those those guys were totally amazing that we had to work with in 2009 and 10 they really they really were amazing and then thomas jones they don't come any again we had some really strong locker room guys too you know that were uh leaders in the locker room as well and like you said tony richardson 
great, what a great leader he was. Um, so we really had some uh, amazing, you had David Harris who was quiet, but you know, just played so well. And of course, Revis was as shut down as they possibly could be. Well, I just, uh, you know, thank you, obviously, you know, again, for coming on the podcast. And, um, you know, again, if you want to check, you know, Connie out on, on Twitter, she's a great follow at Connie Scouts, and you can kind of read more about her background and things like that. And, um, yeah, no, we appreciate having you on. And um, hopefully we'll have you on before the season starts. We have some more exciting stuff to talk about. Oh, great, Will. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.